So a man uh, drops to the ground in cardiac arrest in a parking lot, and a car happens to drive by, pull up, and it's a doctor, and she has a defibrillator in her trunk. She gets it out, uh, resuscitates the man, and gets him to the hospital, and he recovers. Uh, true story. Another true story. Uh, two students out on a scooter. Uh, they are having a great time um, run, going out into the woods and uh, run out of gas. Now it's getting cold. Uh, night is coming. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're going to do. They're shivering. And uh, a pickup truck pulling a fishing boat pulls up. A man gets out, grabs a gas can out of the pickup, puts a gallon of gas in the scooter, the gas can back in the truck, gets in, drives away, never says a word. Uh, we call the doctor and the fisherman good Samaritans. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's, that's a good, those are good Samaritan stories. It's just part of our vocabulary. The interesting thing about those two is that neither of them fulfill the requirement of being a Samaritan. Being a, uh, they, they might be good, but they're not a good Samaritan. And we'll talk about why in just a minute. We're starting a new series. It's called Close Encounters of the Jesus Kind, which is a little corny, uh, you know, coming out of that movie from the 70s, right? Uh, but the thing about Close Encounters of the Third Kind is that they describe the kind of encounters that we have with Jesus. The third kind of encounter is one where you see the entity, but at a distance, you, you don't have a face-to-face -face interaction with them. And so that's what we get with Jesus. We have encounters with Jesus. We experience him, but at a distance. It's in Scripture. Others had a face-to-face -face encounter with him. They wrote it down. It's eyewitness testimony. But it's not us immediately there. But don't worry and be forewarned. Uh, even these kinds of distant encounters with Jesus can change our lives. We know that. We've had that happen. They can be extremely challenging. So we want to take a, uh, several weeks to look at experiences others had with Jesus. They will be close encounters for us. And uh, today we are looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. So we, that's the story we call it. The Samaritan in the story is never called good, just a Samaritan. Uh, and we've all, as, as you just demonstrated, we all know the concept. Uh, a, a person helps in a, in a moment of need. Uh, but you may not know that that story, the original story, was one Jesus told uh, in the Gospels. And I'm going to read it for us. Now, I'm going to read out of the message, and I'm not going to have us uh, read it off the screen. I just want you to listen to the story uh, as, as Jesus told it. Uh, it says, just then a religious scholar, uh, a teacher, uh, stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Jesus answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Uh, looking for a loophole, the religious scholar asked, and just how would you define neighbor? <clears throat> so Jesus answered by telling a story. 
There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, on the way he, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw the man, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, an elder, a deacon, a religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan, traveling the road, came on him, and when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him up onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you back uh, on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Isn't that a great story? It, it just it, it, it captures so much, and so we will uh, work our way through it. Uh, and it's from that story that we get this phrase, Good Samaritan, referring to people who help others uh, in tough situations. And Jesus tells the story in response to this man who uh, asks a question about eternal life. Now, when we hear the phrase eternal life, we immediately think going to heaven when we die. There, there's something else that we're going to go to, that's eternal life. But the Jewish folks of the day didn't quite have the same perspective. E eternal life was divine life, um, the best life, the kind of life God would have us live. And we understand that that includes for eternity, but for them it was what, what's the best life we can have right now? The kind of life God would have us live. And uh, that's what he was asking about. And um, Jesus brings up in the story suffering and uh, acceptable behavior and neighbors. And through it, he raises questions of how to live that kind of godly life. Uh, and Ultimately, it turns out it's about loving God and loving neighbors. So let's agree on two things about God and uh, others as we get into this. Number one, everybody needs God. Everybody needs God. Now, I don't think I'll get any arguments from this crowd, uh, but just to be clear from Scripture, in Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So what's he saying? I've got what you need. I have what you need. Everybody needs God. And Paul, who wrote most uh, or much of the New Testament, affirms that in 1 Corinthians um, by saying, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. There's a part of us that isn't the way God would have it be. There's a finiteness about all of us that we cannot change, but that Jesus Christ can change in us. Everybody needs God for hope and for purpose and meaning and forgiveness and for healing. And the second thing is, God wants everybody. God wants everybody. Again, not a lot of argument. Seems obvious to us, uh, but it's obvious because of Scripture 
Uh, one of our favorite texts, John 3.16, it's very simple. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, here's that word that the man was looking for, eternal life. And again, Paul writes to a man that he was mentoring, a man named Timothy, and tells him this, we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially those who believe. Um, so the, we, God wants everybody. Uh, so let's review. Everybody needs God and God wants everybody. So those are important. If we hold on to those two ideas, we should be able to answer the rich man, or not the rich man, the, the, the religious scholar's uh, question pretty easily. Jesus ought to be able to use these concepts and just answer uh, the man. So we'll walk through it again. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, being a good teacher, Jesus doesn't answer the question. He tosses it back. We're so quick to answer questions uh, and feel glad that, okay, we answered the question. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, well, um, what do you think? What do you think scripture, what, what do you think about scripture? How do you interpret it? And the man responds, you must love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That, I mean, it rolled off his tongue like three, John 3.16 rolls off ours. It was so familiar to him. Love God, love your neighbor. Okay, and Jesus said, good job, go do that. That's what you should do. Why are you even asking me? You already knew the answer. But the man didn't really want to do anything. He didn't want a to-do list. He wanted to get off the hook. He wanted to be able to say, I already have it, and I don't have to do anything else. And uh, so he asks Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? He's trying to narrow his responsibility so here's this religious instructor, highly educated in the ways of the Bible, and he not only wants to ensure, almost selfishly, his own personal future, but um, what is the least minimum requirement he can do in order to achieve that level of life, uh, which is kind of like a person going to a personal trainer. And you know how if you ever do that, or you go to a gym, and they, they, you know, they give you an introduction, and they say, tell me your goal. What do you want? And we say, well, <clears throat> I want to lose weight, and I want to be in the best shape I can be in while exercising as little as possible and eating whatever I want. <laughs> That's what this is. And, and now what do we say to that? Uh, well, that's not the way it works. The personal trainer doesn't say, oh, wow, are you, you shameful person. We, you shouldn't be acting like that. There's a better way. No, he just like, you know, it doesn't really, you can't really do that. That's not how life works, which is what Jesus is saying to them. Um, who is my neighbor is that minimizing question. What's the least I have to do? Uh, and without reading anymore, uh, we should be able to answer the question with our two points. Everybody needs God. God wants everybody. Jesus could have easily said to the man, dude, seriously, you, I mean, you already know this. Everybody needs God, and God wants everybody. They're all your neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor. You should be helping everybody. But he doesn't do that um, any more than the physical trainer, you know, just humiliates somebody uh, who wants the least minimum requirement for weight loss. Uh, Jesus and the trainer both know it, it doesn't work that way. Uh, 
but he actually cares about the man. He actually, he, he wants something different for this man. He wants to set him free from his, the life he has and give him a new life. And so uh, he does something that wise coaches, mentors, teachers do. They know this about all of us. We respond better and change more when we discover truth rather than somebody telling us truth, right? It, when we discover something, we're, we own it. When we're told it, eh, we can dismiss it. So Jesus doesn't give him the answer. Um, instead, he tells this story. And the beginning of the story is a man, a Jewish man, same, same uh, demographic as the man who's asking the question. He, he gets beat up, left for dead in the gutter along the side of the road. And a Jewish priest, one of the most respected, somebody you would expect to do well, uh, he comes by and he dodges him. He makes a wide circle around the man and leaves him alone, ignores him. And then an elder or deacon, uh, you know, a religious, another religious leader, not an ordained person, but a non-ordained person, they come and they ignore the man completely. Um, and the implication is they're too busy. They got things to do, people to meet, you know. Uh, they, and, and maybe it's beyond their comfort zone. Uh, it's, it's not their area of responsibility, you know. That's not my job. Call Pastor Jonathan, you know. Uh, we got, I got people for that. Um, but for some reason, and maybe a religious reason, they can't help. Uh, and I want to just say, uh, I don't think Jesus is vilifying the priest and the elder. It's, it's all of us. What he's saying is good people, well-meaning, faithful people find reasons to dodge situations like this. It's uncomfortable. We're busy. We, we don't... We, we don't know what we're going to get ourselves into. I, I, but I want you to feel when you hear that and you know, yeah, that's, well, that's true. I don't know what's going to happen. That's how these others were feeling in the story. Um, I, I, I'm guilty. I, I mean, I was preparing this sermon. I sent the notes to the team to do what they do with it. And I was driving down Erringer, and there was a woman sitting on the curb um, and her car beside her with the hood up obviously in need. I didn't stop. I had an appointment. The only reason I was on Erringer was I had an appointment further down. And, and as I drove down, I'm like, I think you just wrote a sermon on this. So, <laughs> uh, 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 so I want to just say, bottom line, I'm the first guy in the story. I'm that priest. Um, and we pick up the story in verse 33. It says, then a despair despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Okay, this gets us to the good Samaritan story, but this is why the doctor and the fisherman are not Samaritans. They're not despised. They're fine, normal, upstanding people. Everybody we talk about in good Samaritan stories are not Samaritans, they're, because they're moral stories. They're stories that make us go, oh, that's a person just like me. I should be able to do that. Uh, and the Samaritan is not like us. The Samaritan is despised by everyone. Everyone in that crowd, if it was a crowd this size and one of you was standing up here asking the question, every one of us would have thought when we heard the word Samaritan, ugh, ay, ay, Seriously, we're talking about them? Do you know, Pastor, that you're going to divide the room on this? This is, this is, 
that, that's how they respond. That's a Samaritan. None of you did that with the doctor and the, and the fisherman. There's, uh, we use strangers, neutral third parties, um, but we don't get the reaction that they do. Uh, now, today, we have many contenders for public enemy number one. Uh, we could, I, I've looked at top 10 lists of most despised people in 2018. They can't even get to 10. There's like 15. There's a bonus five. Um, and, I, and I was going to give you a top 10, and then it's like, oh, I can't do this. This I mean, this half of the room will agree, and this half of the room will disagree, and then we'll all get tweeting about it. So, uh, but... But I, I, one person on the list, uh, somebody I respect, somebody that I uh, have appreciated for years, Elon Musk. Uh, you know, I just think, oh my gosh, the Tesla is amazing. And, uh, but last year, he tweeted an attack, a very vindictive personal attack on the hero that saved the 12 boys in a Thailand cave. Seriously, Musk, come on. And everybody just, you know, attacked him. Uh, and, and then... Uh, here's another one. Not everybody deserves the, the, the hatred that they get. Tom Brady, quarterback for the uh, Patriots. So many people hate him. Why? Just because he beats all the other teams in the Super Bowl. Give us a break. Let somebody else have a shot at it. Now, that's all I know about Tom Brady. Last night, I said Tom Bradley. So, it's like, <laughs> I'm not that good at this. Um, but let's eliminate all of those, all of those kinds of individuals and all political people. We're not going there. So uh, if we get rid of all of that, here's, we, we could get close. Uh, if we think about the bombings in synagogues and mosques recently uh, and, and the shootings based on race, we, we would say, you know, we really hate racism. As a nation, most of us really despise the racist attitudes that would have people killing others simply because of their race. That would be one. If we named Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, we would say, wow, as a nation, we are coming to really abhor uh, abuse of power, and especially abuse of power that abuses women. So those are two. But, but mostly in our country, we, we don't have a, a target audience that we all despise. Thank God. Thank God for that. But they did then. They did back then. When Jesus was talking, every person listening would have the same verse, visceral negative reaction when they said Samaritan. And, uh, and we can't believe it. The Samaritan is following the commands of God when the Jewish people wouldn't. When people like us wouldn't do it, this other person did says in uh, verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Now, what does that mean? That means he did what any of us would do. If we were in the opportunity, if we did get the opportunity, we'd say, hey, can I give you something to eat? Can I give you something to drink? Are you okay? That's, that's that first level. And he did that. Um, and then he did something more. It says, then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. So this is, the, in our day, this would be us um, helping them up, getting them in, in our car and driving them to urgent care and, and getting them ushered in. Or at least we'd call an Uber or a Lyft today and say, could you take this fellow to urgent care? There's a little bit more uh, step of it. 
but the despised person in Jesus' story did even more than that. It says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. Is If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. All right, I'm going to say this part, this is where it, it goes beyond uh, our world today because we might pay the copayment for somebody at, when, they're in, when they're walking in, but I don't think we're handling the whole bill. Um, but the point here is he's taken responsibility for the man, and he said, I, I want you to take care of him, and I will take care of it with you. Don't worry about it. That's powerful. Um, and so that's when uh, Jesus, after we get to all of that, Jesus says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Well, what's the guy going to say? I mean, it's obvious. He is so stuck. Uh, and he's, he says, well, the one who showed him mercy. <laughs> right? And he's like caught. And Jesus says, yeah, go do that. Uh, so go do that. Why? Because the life you're trying to live, the life you want, comes through becoming a person who does these kinds of things. It's not magic. It's not more sacrifices. At the, you know, it's not more offerings. It's you, you live the life. You have the life by living the life. So there are four characters in this story, and it's a clear story. It's an obvious conclusion. Um, and it's obvious to us because we identify with several of these people. We identify with the Samaritan. Even though we aren't despised, we can imagine we being a person who sees somebody who's a little scary to us, who's a little not like us, but we would go and help them. We, we relate to the Samaritan. We relate, honestly, to the religious priest and to the elder. I, I am that person. I, I had this very same thing happen to me. And I know we all have. We look at, we look at somebody and go, ah, you know, I, it could be, it, I'm not sure what's going to happen. You know the thoughts that go through our head. Not to mention we're on our way somewhere, and besides, they probably have AAA, and they got, friend, they got a cell phone, the police are going to come by, all of those kinds of things. We identify with those religious leaders. Who we almost never identify with is the fourth person in the story. You know who that is? The one beaten and left for dead in the, in the curb, pushed to the side of the road. What if one of us was the beaten one, robbed, left for dead on the side of the road? What if it was our son or daughter who was there, or a grandson or a granddaughter, someone that we love, hurt, alone, possibly dying in the gutter? What does it feel like to be that person? The person who needs a neighbor. So what if security cameras captured the event and they see uh, the pastor from the local church coming and they go, oh, thank goodness, thank goodness he's coming. And he avoids them. He drives around them. Uh, and then the, the elder from the church that they recognize, oh, gosh, at least this guy's going to help. And he doesn't help. Uh, and, then, and then we see the, the, whatever the most racist club is in the area, the, the people that we know that are bad, what if one of them came and they stopped and helped? Would we care that we don't like what they believe in? Would we, care, would we be happy that they are helping? Or would we say, hey, 
I'd rather my son or daughter die than be helped by them. No, we're, the, we're so grateful. And what scripture could the priest give? What lesson could the elder teach that would get him off the hook? And, and we would go, oh, I get it, Pastor. Don't worry. It was fine for you to ignore my loved one. Nothing. Nothing. Folks, everyone is our neighbor. Everyone is our neighbor. And I, but I want to say, I don't think Jesus was meaning to throw the priest and the elder under the bus. Uh, that's not the point. The point is this. By choosing a Samaritan, somebody completely unlike us that we would despise, he said, listen, if he can do it, we can do it. Live into this kind of life. That's what Jesus said. Right answer. Live into this kind of life. I didn't go back and help the lady on Erringer. I thought about what might have happened, how long it would take. As I say, she probably has AAA. Um, making up stories. Um, but I don't think, I, I don't want to say, hey, all of us should step into every situation all the time. The point simply is this, to have the kind of life we come to church to have, to have the kind of eternal life, divine life, godly life that God wants for us, we have to begin to live a little differently, to have a little bit different perspective. Why? Because everyone needs God, and God wants everyone. Why would we think that God would have us live a life that didn't include those two? Um, so I just want to give you a next step. So as we live our lives, my goal is not to say to you, okay, go out and every single time you see anybody in trouble, or anything, you go help them. The point instead is be aware. Keep an eye out for what's going on around you. And when something catches your eye, when you see something, I have three questions for you to ask. First, ask, what's going on here? What's going on here? And just look around, be sensitive, be aware, as opposed to, I'm leaving. <laughs> right? just, just be aware. What's going on here in any situation that piques our interest or catches our attention? Second, ask, what does God want in this situation? Now, if you can't come up with anything, remember, everybody needs God, and God wants everybody. So what God wants has something to do with meeting that person's need. And... And also in that, uh, if, you, if you can't think of, well, no. So what does God want in that situation? And third, how can I be a neighbor? How can I be a neighbor? Maybe we can't do everything. Not all, none of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. Um, and so if you're sitting there and you go, how can I be a neighbor? And you can't think of anything. Or it's uncomfortable. Imagine if that was your son or daughter. And someone else was, was you in your seat. What would you want them to do? How, be a neighbor. So I leave you with this challenge, which comes from this close encounter with Jesus, is be a neighbor. Live, live neighborly. How do we live with our neighbors next door? We kind of greet them, we may, but we're keeping an eye on them. If something's going on, we knock on the door. We say, hey, are you Okay. Uh, most of the neighborly opportunities we have are not sacrificial. They aren't going to require all day or, you know, whatever. 
they aren't sacrificial, but many of them are sacramental. So, you know, we have two sacraments, communion and baptism. And what we say about, about sacraments is that uh, they are visible signs of an invisible reality. The invisible reality of God's love, God's presence, God is here. And we have visible signs of that. That's what our acts of kindness and neighborly ways are. They're sacramental. They, they show people in need, God is here. God is watching out for me. God is able to meet my needs through good people, good Samaritans like this person. Many acts are mundane. Cup of water, bag of groceries. Some are once in a lifetime. It'll be amazing. And some are acts of kindness we would never want to do, but will change our life, and we will be grateful forever that we did them. That's what happened with a friend of mine, David Shalinsky. He's a member of my church down in San Diego. He's a deacon at the church, and he was, uh, had, had some early responsibilities on Sunday morning, so he was driving to church. He was getting to church early, and as he came around the corner on the freeway, he saw a car on its uh, roof upside down and dust in the air. It had just happened. He hadn't seen it, but it had just happened. There were no police. There were no ambulances. Nobody had stopped. There were no witnesses. It was like he was the first person to drive by after it happened. And he stopped. He stopped to call 911 and stopped to see if he could help in any way. And uh, when he looked, he saw a young woman upside down being held in by her seatbelt. And he ran to her side, the driver's side of the door, to see if he could help. I know you in that situation would be just like him. What are you going to do? You can't really do anything. You're not about to start trying to do something. There wasn't a fire. But as he looked at her, he saw that she was in really bad shape. But she was conscious. And so he began to talk to her. He asked her name. And uh, later, he would learn that she was a student at one of the universities in San Diego. Later, he would meet her family that came up from Mexico. Later, he would introduce her family to our church, and I would meet the family and invite the congregation to pray and lay hands on the family. Later, the family would release balloons at the beach in her memory. But right now, David was alone with her, talking to her, the only person in her life. He stayed with her until help came, too late. So what was David's Good Samaritan Act? Why do her family still stay in touch with him now, years later? Because he was there. Because he stayed with her. Because he did for her what her family members would have given their lives to be able to do, to be sure she was not alone. That's it. That's what it means to be a neighbor. That's what Jesus would do. That creates abundant, eternal, divine life.